little uh, sound bites I have from the time. I remember this one place where the kids took their sketchbook so that any cool thing we saw, they could draw a sketch so they could retell the whole story to my wife when we got back. And so at one point we're uh, overlooking this waterfall area. It's kind of the classic postcard scene of Yellowstone. And my kids are sitting with their sketchbooks drawing. And, you know, um, then all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, is this bus full of Asian people show up. And my kids are sitting on the ground. There's the waterfall. And they start like pointing at my kids and looking. Some people are taking pictures of them and they're, you know, like kids in their natural habitat there or something. You know, it was, it was very, very interesting. So we might have some pictures out on YouTube somewhere. But, uh, you know, you look at what they were drawing, you know, one of them had like a green line through the middle of the page. You know, it's like, wow, it was profound. But, um, they're child prodigy artists there. So, uh, but anyways, that, that was a cool thing. Another time we watched this video about, uh, you know, Yellowstone Watch Out for the wildlife, you know, and one of one of the clips was just showing pictures of these elk that were just ramming cars. They just run at these cars and hit them with their things, and they showed cars from very different eras, you know, that they were hitting and doing things, and it was pretty cool. And then uh, they showed this one point. They showed this buffalo. They said, you know, watch out for the animals. You think they're friendly, whatever. And this this family was out of their vehicle, and this was, bison was wandering up, and, and they were taking pictures. And next thing you know, it charged them, and the dad and the kid took off this way, and the mom took off the other way. And for whatever reason, he decided to follow the mom and hit her with his head and threw her up in the air. And we were just like, can you show this at a national park? Like, this is like very graphic. And then, you know, at the end, they said, um, and nobody was hurt from this incident or whatever. But I was talking to my son Justice, a couple people down. He was sitting over by Greg, and Justice just said, that was awesome. <laughs> We really were learning our lessons at Yellowstone. It was a, it was a great time. Last one of the last things traveling with kids was kind of fun. We're driving back. We're on the road trip through Montana. Um, we were coming down from Billings to Wyoming. And, you know, Greg and I are trying to describe the scenery there. And we're like, one of us, I think, said, this is desolate. And one of us said, this is barren. And then from the back, I hear a little kid say, Dad, i got to go potty. And so we are But anyways, we rest area showed up sooner than but it was a great trip. We had fun. We came. We saw. We got some certificates, things like that. But uh, anyways, we're supposed to start a series here, a four-part series, I heard. Um, so... I've been thinking about it and stuff, but I realized that uh, this series is something that some of us uh, kind of experienced part of this back in Fort Collins with the church there. There was a series that was called the Is God series. And as we were kind of researching it and saying, you know, we liked, we liked the themes of it, we thought we'd try it here, uh, we realized that they... Somehow we condensed the series that they did. It was a 12-part series, and we're going to do it in four parts here. So I realized as I'm preparing for this, as I'm in Yellowstone, figuring out how to camp with the kids, um, we might have bit off a little more than we could chew here. So I appreciate the prayers this morning, maybe in the prayer meeting. I, I resonate with what Jeremy was saying, having some anxiety coming into this. But uh, I'm going to share some things that God has put on my heart, some things that for us all to, to think through and chew on as it relates to the question, is God out there? Is there a God who is here? Um, the title here is, as you see, God is, what does that say? God is now here or God is nowhere? You know, it might say different things to different people. To this very question, there's probably two different perspectives.
perspectives and two different angles people are coming from. But we're going to try to ask a few questions here, look at a few verses, and let you come to what you might find to be the most reasonable solution to this question. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Well, Heavenly Father, we do just thank you again for bringing us together. We thank you that we um, can just take time together to worship you, the God whose love for us remains, even when we don't deserve it, even when we're anxious, even when we seem uh, distant from you. Your love for us remains. Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray this morning that you would just maybe open our eyes to see some things, to think about some things maybe that we haven't before. I pray that you would, um, through the verses that are shared, that you might illuminate them, bring them to life, help us to see things from, from your perspective. Um, God, we just commit this time to your use. We thank you that, like the verse was shared, that we can be still, we can know that you're God and you will be exalted. And we just pray you'd be exalted here this morning. I just ask for this help, this grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, let's see. When we start off here on this, we're in some ways going to cover uh, a few things that might be a little philosophical. We're going to overlap that with some science. going to throw in some pastoral and biblical perspective. You know, all of that bathes in a lot of dry humor. And so um, it should be a... Hopefully it should be a good sign by the time the dust settles here. But, um, you know, when it, when it comes to this topic, one of the frameworks we're going to use is one, I remember John Meyer taught it to me. I actually uh, have an old index card that from one of his teachings back at Colorado State, I wrote down some of this flow of thinking here. And I think John said, you know, he got it from uh, some, some things that Francis Schaeffer had written about the God who is there. And so you might have heard some of these thoughts and arguments before. You might not have, but we're going to use in some ways the philosophical framework and then we're going to look at a lot of verses and a lot of quotes and we're going to give you some things to, to wrestle with to think about to pray to pray about and we'll let you take, take it home and figure it out and we'll let Jeff clean up the mess next time he speaks here so um, but, but here's three really three major call it three major buckets of thinking here three major buckets of thinking three major camps that when it comes to uh, what we see in the universe what we see all around us uh, how, how did it get here how did we get here you know in some ways the way we're going to look at it there's really three major options of how all that we see and all that we know now got into being and and we're going to let you chew on these options, see what you think. Whoops, um, wrong direction. First one is this. Way, way back in the beginning of it all, the beginning of the universe, at some, at some place there was nothing. And at some moment, everything sprang into existence. The universe as we know it, it just came from nothing. And, and so that's, that's one thought that's out there. You know, just somehow it had a beginning. We don't know how, we don't know why. There was nothing. And then, ta-da, there's something. And we're going to talk about that as an option. There's some, some things we should know about that. And, and um, another thing, though, so that's something came from nothing. It's one option. That's one bucket to be thinking about. Another, the other two buckets kind of relate to this. Well, if, if something didn't come out of nothing... Well, then the only other option is if there's something has always been. Something has always been in this universe. And really there's, there's two, uh, two somethings that could have always been. One is 
It's something that has always been. It's something impersonal. It's, it's atoms. It's hydrogen. It's energy. And that, that matter has always existed. And everything that we know and see in the world around us has come in some shape or form from, from this impersonal uh, beginning. Hydrogen, energy, time, combinations. And everything that we see in the here and now is somehow tied back into that something you know, that flow of uh, atoms that, that, you know, there's some that, uh, philosophers that talk about, there's just this everlasting flow of atoms that through different collisions and combinations have brought about everything that we see now. Now the other option is that the something that has always been is something personal, like a creator of some personal being, not just uh, molecules with properties and traits and things like that, but there's a a personal being that was there at the beginning. And we're going to look at these three buckets, camps, and let you see, maybe, you know, when I first heard some of these ideas, I go, you know, I hadn't really thought about it before. You know, there's something comes from nothing. That means nothing as in no God, no hydrogen, no universe, nothing something came into being or there's something that has always been these hydrogen molecules just been floating around forever or something someone something personal has brought about what we see in the here and now and so um, we're going to like I said we're going to look at some quotes we're going to look at some verses really one of the questions that I have for you is that as we take a look around us at everything that we see from the macro level of space to bringing it close to Earth and the things in our, even our solar system and on the planet to the things uh, in the lives of human beings to the microscopic molecular level. Um, what is reasonable to believe? Where did it all come from? I'm going to read uh, this verse here from, from Romans. It gives us uh, maybe a framework to, to start tackling these questions with. It says this in Romans 1, 18-20. Some of you might be familiar with this passage, but it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And really, um, there's a number of different thoughts you could pull out of this, but you know, a couple of them to think about is that God says that what can be known about Him is simple. It can be clearly seen. You know, this could have said, what can be known about God is so obscure, you're not going to figure it out unless you have a PhD in quantum mechanics and hang around with Stephen Hawking and whatever, you know. But it says that, you know, what can be known about God is actually pretty clear. And you can see it in the creation all around you. And, and at the same time, it says there are some that suppress this clear and obvious truth. And it talks about it, it takes you other places. It takes you ultimately into, instead of worshiping the Creator, you worship things in the creation. Be it hydrogen, or star stuff, or whatever it is in creation that you ultimately, maybe it's yourself. 
Um, and so, but, but we just need to know. God says, you know what? This isn't for just rocket scientists. Everyone can see it, and all it takes is looking around you. And so, um, we've got a few quotes here, some from philosophers, some from scientists. Um, but maybe to give us some thoughts. So when we start looking at these three camps, you know, the first camp, again, is something came from nothing. Now, you know, as we start to eliminate options here, I just want to let you know that if that is the foundation of, of your belief, you have to realize that that is a, it's a logical contradiction. If you have nothing, what can come out of nothing? Nothing. Good one. Awesome. Alan. Um, so if you start with nothing, if you understand the concept of nothingness, something doesn't come out of nothingness. It just that's, that's a contradiction of terms there. And so if somehow your belief system is based on there was absolutely nothing, no God, no matter, no anything, no time, and then ta-da, there's something. That that would be a you know that would be a hard place to start your beliefs from um, a logical contradiction. So you know I hope that maybe you don't find yourself there. But in the second camp is that something's always been and that's an inanimate. You know it's it's hydrogen, it's atoms, it's things like that. So here's a few quotes that kind of represent people in these two camps here, and and these are you know. Some of these quotes, I found them a little bit baffling. You know, I heard them before in other teachings and I go, really? Really? Is this what you would have to think? Um, and so here's, here's a quote here. Um, the history of the universe has been summed up thusly. Hydrogen is a light, odorless gas, which, given enough time, turns into people. <laughs> This is a guy who was quoting another guy, a cosmologist at the University of Massachusetts. But here's, here's the thought. If you buy into that idea that something has always been, and it's hydrogen, it's atoms, it's whatever it is, this is kind of how it logically has to play out. Hydrogen over time and collisions and different odds and ends becomes people. Really? That's, you know... That takes more faith to believe something like that than, than faith that I have. That's a hard pill to swallow. Um, there's another way it's been put. This one you might notice, Carl Sagan. Um, you know, uh, always exploring the cosmos, involved in the, the search for extraterrestrial life, um, intelligence, things like that. But here's a couple of his quotes. You know, and some would say maybe he gets a little more eloquent than just hydrogen. He says this. We are made of star stuff. Star stuff. You know, I think we need some sound effects or something for that. But the idea was taking all these things that are in space. Again, you know, it's a fancy way of, a, of taking energy and, and molecules, hydrogen, things like that, and go, we're all star stuff. And he had a passion about it. And I really believe he sold his passion to millions. But it was a passion that, you know, here's another way he put it, um, we are star stuff that has been take that has taken destiny into his own hands. Wow. Um, you know, and he was a part of the movie that came out, Contact, that's just talking about is there extraterrestrial is there intelligence out there elsewhere? Uh, and if so, you know, if we find out what ramifications does that have for our world, but but that's something that comes from one of these first two buckets of thinking. Something that, believe it or not, you, you might, if you align yourself in those camps, 
somewhere you have to overlap with these thoughts in your own thinking. Um, another philosopher put it like this. Um, we are as much a product of blind forces as is the falling of a stone to earth or the ebb and flow of the tides. We have just happened. And man was made flesh by a long series of singular, singularly beneficial accidents. You know how we got here? Long, random things that happened and ta-da! You and I and everything else that we see and know all around us. And, and that comes from one of these two camps here. Um, let's see here. So let's look at another thing here. As we're looking at them. Uh, as we're looking at the creation, in some ways, let's take a peek at, at this one here. I love this verse. Uh, once had it memorized, tried to brush up on it here as well, but it, it's Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display the work of His hands, proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. But this is just saying when you look at the heavens, the heavens, they proclaim something. They proclaim the work, the handiwork of God. And and that's the Bible's perspective, that's God's perspective, that's what He's revealed to us. But... But when it comes to space, um, that's not everyone's perspective, is it? You look out there and you go, God made this. No, there's, there's people that really, um, some of their, their motivation for using science is to disprove this idea that somehow a creator had to be involved. Um, and, you know, I think about the, some of you have heard of the program SETI. It's the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Any of you heard of that before? Um, at one point, it was it received uh, significant funding from the government. Nowadays, they're lacking funding. I don't think the government is involved in supporting them. But but the idea was that uh, that we would search space and examine these radio waves that are going on and try to see if somewhere out there that in these billions of waves, you know, the data that they receive, that somewhere out there there's an intelligent form of communication going on that we can intercept, that we can hear. And millions and millions of dollars were spent on this venture. Some would say it approached billions. Um, but implied in, in this search and, and some of the motivations of the scientists involved, whether it was just kind of implied that they were doing this way, some even uh, verbalized this explicitly that if you're to find life, extraterrestrial life or intelligence somewhere else, it supports your case that you don't need God to have life. You know, if you, you take all the chances and the probability that somehow there's combinations and permutations and crashes and collisions brought about all that you see, it's a very, 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 very small probability that anything like that could have ever happened. But if you find data points elsewhere and you go, hey, there's life out there, and so this very unbelievably, you know, uh, possibility of this happening here happened out there too. So now you have two data points, but the goal is to say, hey, look, all of this could have happened without a creator, without a cause besides the, the matter that has always been. Um, 
I think uh, I'll read this quote here is the Dr. William Lane Craig. He says this. Um, uh, you see, the idea that things can come into being uncaused out of nothing is absurd. But in atheism, the universe just pops into being out of nothing with absolutely no explanation at all. I think once people understand the concept of absolute nothingness, it's simply obvious to them that if something has a beginning, then it cannot have popped into being out of nothing. It must have a cause that brings it into existence. And he goes on to say, um, goes on to say this as, as Craig, this is you know, Dr. William Lane Craig, uh, has documented the logical implications of the scientific evidence for the beginning of the universe are that its creator must be an uncaused, beginningless, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, personal being endowed with freedom of will and enormous power. And that is a core concept of God, says Craig. Um, another thing to, to think about here when we're looking at... Uh, we're looking at how did we're just talking about space right now, the stars, the heavens. How did it get here? You know, I think about uh, I think about this old joke. You know, it's kind of like I say we got some dry humor in here. Um, this would count as that. Um, you might have heard this joke before. God is sitting in heaven, and the scientist says to him, "Lord, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing." In other words, we can now do what you did in the beginning. Oh, is that so? Tell me, replies God. Well, the scientist says, we can take dirt and form it into the likeness of you and breathe life into it, thus creating man. Well, that's interesting. Show me. So the scientist bends down to the earth and starts to mold the soil. Oh, no, 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 interrupts God. Get your own dirt. You know, and in some ways you think about that when it comes to dirt, when it comes to, you know, but there's so many things. Get your own, get your own hydrogen. Where does hydrogen come from? Get your own single-celled molecule. Where did that come from? Get your own human being. You know, in some ways, uh, scientists like to take what we have and speculate on how it got here with the intention of cutting God out of the equation so that, you know, one of the motivations is that if you have a world that was created through hydrogen and atoms and all this, you know what? Um, in the end, you get to live in a world where you don't have to report to anybody. You don't have to live by anybody else's rules, but maybe the rules of hydrogen. And, and you can be your own God, and you can report to yourself when it's all done. You know, see, I think a lot of scientists um, have that motivation because they don't want someone telling them what is right and what is wrong. And I have to give an account to someone else when it's all done. It's a much easier pill to swallow to say, you know what? Live for the here and now, and when it's done, it's done. You report back to the stardust. Well, that... You know, that might be an easier, I don't know, thing to live by, but at the same time, you have to disconnect from the reality around us in a lot of ways to bring that about. Get your own hydrogen. Where did that come from? And so, um, if we keep going here, um, well, I like this quote as well when it talks about, you know, so in the study program, they're, they're looking for um, signals and, uh, you know, trying to. Um, uh, trying to find out if there's intelligent life out there. One study I read a report at one point that someone says, you know what, we think we have 116 
possibilities out of the billions of, of sample data that we have, 116 possibilities could be extraterrestrial life. And as they went on to discuss it, by the way, we found out a number of them were man-made sources like satellites and other things, and a few of them were actually just random data that maybe wasn't intelligent after all. And that's the sum total of what intelligence they found using millions of dollars of money and effort. Likely our, our taxpayer money went into that. Um, but I love this quote here. Let me read this. Uh, I'm not sure if I have it up there. Maybe I do. Uh, no, I don't. This one here is just, uh, I think it's another perspective on it all. Um, uh, here we go. This is, I love this. This is, it says, um, The fundamental claim of intelligent design is straightforward and easily intelligible. Namely, there are natural systems that cannot be adequately explained in the terms of undirected natural forces and that exhibit features which, if in any other circumstance, in any other circumstance, we would attribute to intelligence. This, this guy's basically saying we, we see things all around us that, you know, in space they're looking for the possibility that somehow there's this communication that we would deem as intelligent. While at the same time we look at one of the things that, uh, whether it's secular scientists or, or those scientists who are believers, one of the things they all agree upon is when you look at our universe, there are things that are extremely finely, precisely tuned. The question becomes, who tuned them? Now these guys are looking for intelligence with millions of dollars and trying to figure out, does this radio wave speak to me? Is it from E.T. or something like that? You know, that's the idea. But at the same time, everyone acknowledges there's these extremely fine-tuned things throughout um, the universe, but it must have happened randomly. In any other situation, we would say, that requires some intelligence there, you know? Um, I think we have... Something here, let me keep going. Sorry. Oh, yes, well, I have a slide that's talking about these things. Sorry. Um, here's another question. You know, Isaiah the prophet asked this. You know, he says, Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength? Not one of them is missing. You know, I think it's good for us from time to time. I used to love one of my favorite parts in all creation was to look out in the stars at night uh, back in Fort Collins there. You could get out on a, out by horse tooth and out on the ridge that overlooks the city. We used to camp out there a bit and just look at all the stars and it's just amazing. Here in Denver, you get out in the backyard and look. You see the neighbor's street lights. You see you know, all sorts of things. You don't see too many stars. You know, that's, it's been hard to get out and reflect on how glorious. You know, you, you have to look up there and you have to have one of two real, real thoughts you know, that, that you know, your thinking will come from. One is you look out there and you go, wow, that is really random. I can't believe it all showed up like that and nothing's fallen out of place and nothing's colliding and oh, the moon is in a perfect position that if it was farther or closer, it would be catastrophic weather on this planet and if the sun was bigger or smaller, it would, uh, we'd either freeze on the planet or we'd boil. And there's just all these things and you go, wow, that's so random. Wow. Um, or you go, someone out there really knew what he was doing to create a place that was inhabitable for life, a place that perfectly fine-tuned. 
and you really got um, you got to go towards one of the one of the other of those camps here. I'm studying on the search for extraterrestrial life. It's a lot of money, a lot of motives go into that. I say versus intelligence because we see intelligence all around us here. But you know, um, that's a lot in space, so I don't have time to keep going in each one of these. You know, I realize there's we can talk about just the things on the planet, some of the properties and things on the planet and the solar system. We can talk about. Uh, I read an article just on a, the amazement that scientists have over a one-celled organism and all that goes into something that simple. We can focus on each one of these and make a case for design versus chance and randomness. We're not going to do that. I do have one thing I have a picture of here that is, uh, you look at it and if you're like me, you'll go, well, there, there was that, um, that quote here about um, we would attribute intelligence to these as long as somehow that intelligence didn't point to God, you know. Um, but there's a picture here of, of something here on earth that has occurred randomly by chance through the forces, the natural forces here at work on the planet is something a phenomenon that has occurred here in North America some of you might know about this phenomenon this random chance that occurred here yeah that is so random isn't it that's like you know, and I share that with you, you know, again, maybe it's a dry humor or something, but, um, but when we look at that, how many of you go, that is just random. I mean, the wind and the, the sand in the air and just that, wow, it is amazing that it caused these faces. That is just, well, how many of you actually would think that, right? Anyone? Let's raise your hand. I dare you. We'll all look at you. Um, but what do we think? We look at that and we go, that's awesome. Someone created these images of human beings, human beings that have actually historical figures. Got George Washington there, G-Dub. We got uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln here. We got, is this Roosevelt here? Teddy, good old Teddy. He's the one that I think set apart the Yellowstone as a national park. He was amazed by this as well. Um, and this guy, anyone? What is it? Jefferson, exactly who I thought. Um, so, so the point is, we look at that, and, and who goes, that's random. Because somebody knew what they were doing. Somebody created these images very in great detail, more than one image, um, and no one would say, well, that's, that's just so random. The, the planet, that piece of rock left to itself long enough, it just kind of would self-assemble that way, and, and that's, that's the way it was made. No, that's, that's not true at all. Somebody created that. Somebody carved them out. Somebody knew what they were doing there. And, you know, in some ways, I want to use that idea to transition into what happens when we look at human beings. When you look at us, you go, wow, how random that you have unique personality. You have a mind. You have a heart. You have a moral code uh, engraved into your heart how, how one of two options again how random that is just wild or somebody personal did that created us like this on purpose I would say that is the more rational rational reasonable belief and we're going to look at this here and obviously the Bible says the same thing God said let us make man in our image in our likeness let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Bible says that we, we are personal beings because the one who created us, created us was a personal being with the ability to, to reason, with the ability to 
communicates with the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. And um, I think there's a, a, I feel like a good quote on this, this idea here that we, you know, and this is a big jump from space to the planets to the first cell to human beings. Like we're covering some gigantic chasms here that science is still trying to tackle here. But um, let me read this here. Um, Our human spirit provides evidence that God's traits, His love, justice, freedom are alive in us. Human nature is utterly without peer on earth. As Dr. Ian Tattersall says, Homo sapiens is not simply an improved version of its ancestors. It's a new concept. At the most basic level of this nature is our self-realization, grounded in our self-consciousness. Our ability to reason and our emotions, such as anger and love, our consciousness enables us to see that we have inherent value apart from our utility or function. Another quality we share with God is the moral ability to recognize good and evil, which God exemplified through Adam and Eve. We can therefore act freely in a morally good or evil way. We can either we can choose either to reflect the moral image of God or to reject it. But either way, the ability to make the choice reveals our underlying similarity to our Creator. We were created in the image of God. When you look at what we are, you know, how did we get here? You know what the, the idea that says everything came from hydrogen or things like that? You know what some would say? You'll find writings out there today that people are, are holding to is that it's all, it's all about your DNA. Your DNA, your chemistry, put in any given situation, the way you respond, the way you choose is directly and completely, totally tied into your DNA and the chemical you know, things that go on in that situation. There's no choice. You don't have a choice. You're put in that situation. That's what your DNA is going to do. Some call it that you're dancing with the DNA. You're just kind of guiding you to do whatever you do. And, you know, um, whatever happens, yeah, my DNA made me do it. You know, um, but the other equation says God has given us the ability to make choices, to do things that are good, to do things that are evil. And, um, you know, in one, you will give account for the life that you live when you break those moral laws that God has put in place. On the other, you know, you just say my DNA made me do it and you keep doing it, right? Eventually, you report back to the cosmos. No harm done. I don't buy that. Do you? Is that reasonable? I would say it's not. Um, We'll keep looking here. We're going to have to cruise to to wrap things up here. Um, What else do we have? Created them. You know, another thing, the Bible talks about that we do have a conscience. At one point they're talking about, hey, what about those people that never heard about this law, this Ten Commandments from Moses? Well, it says, uh, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required in the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law of Moses telling them certain things of right and wrong. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. It's an idea that whether you're from the Jewish background or not, whether you ever heard of the Ten Commandments or not, God has wired into each one of us a law, a conscience that, that tells us, that guides us into what is wrong and, and what is right. And um, that is, you know, where would that come from if we had just evolved from hydrogen? 
you know, really there's, I think, two, two types of morality you run into. One is that, hey, look, it's survival of the fittest. I work my way up the food chain here, and whatever i got to do to survive, that's cool. That's moral. You know, and if i got to kill people to keep myself alive, what's wrong with that? Nothing, if you follow that line of thinking. The other way that morals can be t- determined is by a society. You know, society, we work together, we come up with what's right and wrong. Well, that sounds good, right? But what if you were living back in the days in Nazi Germany and you found yourself being Jewish? Is that moral? Wow, we could kill these people because they're of a different ethnic background, a different religion, um, and they are not the elite species on the planet. Let's take them out. Well, no, everyone knows that's not just and fair. Well, where does morality come from? Either it's subjective, either it's you, you decide, or our Creator has wired into us what He thinks is right and wrong, and we will give account to Him someday. Let's see here. Ecclesiastes says this. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. But they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The Bible says that God has hardwired into every human being a sense of eternity. A sense of something else. When this temporary life is over, you have something inside you that says there is more. Now what do other camps of thinking tell you? But they like you to get used to the idea that there is nothing after this life. It's over. It's dust. You're done. There's nothingness. And that is the direct opposite of what God says is true. There is something eternal. And based on how you live in the here and now, it will determine your eternal situation. And, um, you know, that is in sharp contrast. You know, I think C.S. Lewis has this quote here. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. If you're living life in light of eternity, you're going to see glorious things in eternity and you're going to have a pretty good life here now. If you're just focused on living life now, uh, let's eat, drink, be merry because tomorrow we die, well, you're not going to get life here and you're going to get some serious trouble there in the afterlife. Some verses to chew on. This one here... um, from one man, he made every nation of men. Paul is speaking to a crew that is not Jewish. They don't know this, all this background, the prophecy. They don't know the law of Moses. And he's speaking to this culture. And he says this, Hey, from one man, he made every nation of men. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them. For the cultures. I mean, the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Though He's not far from each one of us. You know, sometimes people go, what about the forgotten tribe in the jungle? In Africa or South America? Well, you know, God doesn't think there's anyone forgotten. As a matter of fact, He knows exactly where they are. Exactly the, the situation, the culture, the everything, the time that they're living there. It's, God doesn't, you know, He doesn't forget. And, and it's actually, he's wired people to live in different places so that they would have the best chance to seek him and find him. You know, sometimes people say, well, it's just not fair. If you're born in uh, you know, a Christian culture, you're going to become Christian. If you're born in India, well, you're going to be Hindu. If you're born in you know, a Muslim culture, you'll be Muslim. But what do we see all around us? How many of you know Americans who are not Christian? How many of you know people from India who are Christian? How many of you know Muslims who become Christians? 
Granted, there's a you know there's an influence that you have and where you're raised, but that is not the sole determining factor of what you end up believing. We, we have to watch out for that. God knows where each one of us is. Um, everyone on the planet, and He's even done it in a way. One way. This is one of the verses we have for for reach on campus. There is that. Our hope is that we're reaching out to campus from from this church, and our hope is that people would respond to God and how He has reached out to them through Jesus. Number thirty. Honey, I hope it's not us. Uh, it, it, it is. All right. Good. 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 I'll not draw any attention, any more attention to you. So. Uh, Got to wrap things up here, just in time. Um, so again, we come back to our initial question here. When you look all around you, what is reasonable to believe? Everything came out of nothing. Something came from nothing. Something has always been hydrogen, matter, energy. Something has collided and evolved, and through time, all that we have came from that bucket. Do you buy that? Is that reasonable to believe? Or something has always been as a creator, a personal creator, who existed outside of this universe and therefore could be the cause of everything that we know in in this universe, the one who we will someday report to. I personally believe that that case is, is the most reasonable to believe. These other ones that it occurred randomly over chance, that is more faith required for that than I can muster up. But I can buy into this. I've got a computer science background. You know, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm a computer scientist. Back when computers were basic, but still, i got... With what I understand of science, I don't feel like I have to live compromised between scientific observation and what I know revelation from God and the Bible. I feel like I walk in confidence um, where there's integrity between the two. And really our observations are observing the things that God has set into place and trying to figure out how in the world He did it and, and even why. But where, where do you find yourself? What camp do you find yourself in your thinking here? I want to leave you with this action step here. In Jeremiah it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is saying, hey look, if you're looking for your Creator who wants to have a personal and loving relationship with you, if if you're really looking, you'll find Him. Now if you're not, Psalm 10 and verse 4 says, The wicked will not seek Him. They don't want to find their Creator. They don't want to bump into someone who they have to give account to for their every thought, their every action, their every word. If you don't want to go looking, you might think about what that might mean, about where you are in life. And if you do want to look and you want to sincerely look for God, there's a promise that you'll find Him. And so I just want to leave you with these, this action step, maybe for different people for where you're at here. One of them is this, you know. Maybe you're trying to figure this out. Maybe you're not sure about God and your faith and all of this. And this is something that... Um, You know, even related to this verse, you can just do a simple prayer like, God, if you're out there, if you really are the Creator, if you really are a personal being who wants to have a loving relationship with me, show me something. Give me a sign. I remember a friend, part of his testimony, he shared this, is that there was a time back, he was out, uh, before he went to college at Colorado State, he was out in the woods in Maine. 
And he was trying to figure out all this about God, and he just asked, you know, just prayed a simple prayer like this God, if you're out there, show me something. He said, shortly after that, he saw a shooting star that lit up the sky. He was like, wow, that's cool. But. You know, uh, that maybe wasn't enough for him. He was out again in the wilderness another time before he moved from Maine to Colorado State. And he prayed the same type of prayer. God, if you're out there, show me, give me a sign. So he saw another shooting star. That left him thinking when he went to college. He's like, maybe God's out there. Maybe he is personal. Maybe he wants to have a relationship with me. He had just so happened randomly through time and chance bumped into some crazy people at Colorado State. One of them being Josh Whitney, who was his RA his first year in Newsom Hall at CSU. I just say nobody bumps into Josh Whitney as an RA accidentally. Um, he went on. Several of us reached out to this young man and shared Christ with him. And he eventually has, has gone on to, to become a pastor, now serving down in Arizona. Some of you know Brandon. He would attribute part of his testimony to calling out, God, if you're out there, show me something. Give me a, a, a sign that I can start thinking, walking down that direction. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe some of you are at the place where you know you go, you know what? I've got a lot of data. I've read a lot of books. I have a lot of information. It's time. God, I, I believe you're out there. I admit I've sinned against you. I've broken your eternal laws. I deserve an eternal consequences. Um, but I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And I invite him into my heart as, as Lord and Savior. He's the new leader, master I report to in my life. I place my trust in him as the one who saved me from all my sins. That might be a prayer you pray today. God knows the exact times and locations where every one of us would call out to Him. He knew, you know, me back in the January 28th, 1996, back on the corner of Prospect and Riverside Drive, on the third floor apartment on the floor, that I would break down in tears and cry out to God. That I'd been living self-righteously, coming up with my own rules. That I believe Jesus did die for me. And I invited him into my life as Lord and Savior. This might be your day today. Maybe you've been wrestling with this, trying to search it out. Maybe you know this is my day. Pray to God. Tell Him what's on your heart. Lastly, the last thing I want you to think about is maybe um, maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you've prayed prayers like that. God, show yourself to me. Maybe you even came to uh, invite Christ into your life. And maybe you've gotten familiar with the God who created the universe. The God who created DNA and um, miracles at a molecular level. Maybe you've gotten familiar with Him. Maybe it's time to say, God, remind me. Remind me that you love me, that you're a personal God. Show me something. I'm reminded of a story back at Faith Walkers a few years ago where the guy was just talking about, um, you know, I'll paraphrase the story, but it was this idea of this, this woman who loved ladybugs. To her, a sign from God was a ladybug. Uh, in any shape, and just the color and this, uh, the tininess, the cuteness of it, whatever it was. But uh, I can't remember if she was a missionary or something, but at one point she's just crying, God, God, if you're out there, would you show me a ladybug somewhere? And I, I think it was something like in a large, busy city she hopped on public transport and somehow there was a ladybug on the rail right there and she was like whoa you know I remember hearing that uh, story I think Doug Brown told her the face walkers a while back and for me you know one of the things I, I think of that showed me a little uh, I don't know personal connection with God is, is golf balls 
You know, it's just you look at them, you go, time and space and chance. This is amazing what happens here, you know. But no, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, my dad loved the golf, my granddad loved the golf. I would tag along, I would look for golf balls. You know, it's it's strange, it's obscure. Don't don't get started, but um, but I remember one day after hearing that teaching and going, you know, I feel a little crusty in my personal loving relationship with God. God show me a little something here. And I went for a walk, and Faith Walker just was wrapping up. It was our last time at Tantara Resort in the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, and we're going to be going to Omaha, I think, after that. But I'm taking a walk down this um, cart path, you know, that Tantara sets in a, a golf course there. And so I'm walking down, and I see this green out in front of me, and uh, I see, that looks like a golf ball. Cool. So I start walking, I see, that looks like another one, another one. I get closer and closer, and the green was... A full of golf balls, just like thrown everywhere. And I'm like looking around, going, you know, who, who did this, you know? Um, and eventually, you know, it seemed like someone had gone through the foliage and gathered golf balls and thrown them on the green for someone like me to find. And, and so I did. I went and gathered them up and I picked up, I think it was 74 golf balls and two tennis balls. And I left going, wow, God, really? I mean, um, you know, maybe that's not scientific, but we talked about our creator being personal. And God God can speak personally to you and maybe you need a reminder that your God is personal and He loves you and He wants to have a relationship with you and all that we see around us with Him setting the stage for a love affair with you. Maybe it's time to be refreshed in that. Maybe you need to pray something like this when you go home. Next, next time, uh, next week we have a, a picnic down the street here. Labor Day picnic at the park. Jeff will follow up with... Hey, if there's this, this God that's out there, this God that's personal, how in the world can I believe that it's the God of the Bible? That's the next place He's going to take us in, in this series here. But let's pray and get on with our morning. Heavenly Father, I do just thank You again for this time. God, I thank You that You you are the Creator, that You are personal, and that You are loving, and that You don't do random. You do things with great purpose. God, I just thank you for making each one of us, uh, giving us each a unique soul, a unique heart, a unique mind to love you with. Thank you that we don't have to check out our brain at the door when we begin to follow you, Jesus. God, I just pray you'd help us to think through some of these things and the ramifications. God, I pray that you would help someone call out to you maybe for the first time. God, I pray that maybe today there would be someone that would surrender to you. And, and place their trust in You as their Savior and as their Lord. God, I pray that today there would be many who are refreshed in a personal, loving relationship with You. Maybe, God, I just ask You to break off the crust, soften it with tears, soften it with whatever You would do, Lord, to capture our hearts again. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. And again, picnic uh, next Sunday. Following Sunday, Jeff is on with His God Part 2. Thanks a lot.